because I believe science might offer an answer to the curse of the Bambino. Why someone took so long to hire that guy is beyond me. Anybody who's not tearing their team down right now and rebuilding it using your model, they're dinosaurs. One of the great things about money is it, it buys a lot of things. One of which is the luxury to disregard what baseball likes, doesn't like, what baseball thinks, doesn't think. It's a threatening, not just a way of doing business, but, it's, but in their minds, it's threatening the game. How can you not be romantic about baseball? Hey guys, Brent Forcio with the Baseball Ops Podcast. Thanks for listening in. Today, I thought I would play a podcast I was just on with Sports Force with Andrew Brinebank. And in this podcast, we have a pitching panel covering a pretty wide spectrum of the pitching industry. We cover some really hot topics. I really thought you guys would like to hear it, so I decided to dedicate this episode to it. So here goes. All right. Thanks for joining us. This is a, kind of an inaugural player development series that actually I've been conceptualizing for quite a while. Uh, about six months ago, I was like, what if we could get some of the most knowledgeable, um, critical thinkers relative to their specific domain within the baseball community to kind of jump on a panel that would be online, be able to share kind of their insight. And this first go at it, we got uh, some awesome guys, you know, joining us today. So I'm just going to show the video panel here. And as you take a look from the top middle, uh, you got Brent Porcio uh, joining us from Louisiana, the Bayou. Thanks, brother, for joining us. Uh, Thank you, Andrew. Absolutely. We got... Uh, Zinger, John Heisinga with Fuel Factory out in Arizona. What's up, brother? What's going on, guys? Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And then we got Jason Hirsch, the man, the myth, the legend, the set six foot seven, giant aviator, hunter, pitching extraordinaire. Uh, what's up, Jay? Uh, I'm doing good. Getting the hunting licenses, right? Yeah, they're they're due on uh, Tuesday. <laughs> no doubt. Um, all right, cool. Well, we're going to dive right in on this. Um, we got a lot to cover. Um, before I dive in, I'm kind of going to let every guy give a little bit of an idea of what their journey has been like uh, throughout the course of their career, baseball-wise, and, and what got them to where they are now with all of the knowledge that they have uh, regarding pitching and athletic development. So I'm going to lead off here. Um, well, let me first quick introduce introduction of myself. Uh, so it's Andrew Beinbrink here. Um, coming from beautiful San Diego, La Jolla, California, uh, just trying to live the dream, doing what I love, um, have a sports company that's focused on the college recruiting uh, process and advising families all over the country. Um, we got an awesome staff of guys, but kind of this got put on my heart, you know, to host this and really give value um, to the community right now, which is obviously you guys got time because everybody in the world is currently. Uh, pretty much in quarantine, uh, at least the baseball world that we're aware of. Uh, but without further ado, let me uh, introduce Brent. And Brent, yeah, please share. You know, man, you've had quite an interesting story um, with your pitching development. But, uh, you know, give us some insight into what got you to where you are today. Yeah, so I got here because at 18, it's in, in my career, I tore my rotator cuff. And it was my first college appearance in JUCO. I mean, I was a really undersized, uh, underdeveloped kid um, at the time. And I had really, I had a lot of mobility issues, led to a lot of bad mechanics and tore the rotator cuff. I mean, and I knew it was happening. I was 
taking a lot of painkillers to try to avoid it, but it, it happened. And, and then that was in 1995. And then the doctors were pretty much every one of them was like, you don't have enough college eligibility to come back from such a bad injury. And they were probably right, but I just didn't give up. And I'm a very stubborn, hard worker. So I just didn't want to quit. I wanted to learn from it. And long story short, got myself back, learned everything that built top velocity eventually and got in. At 26, I walked on an indie ball field in California and, you know, sat low to mid 90s and, and played a couple of years, played in Europe. And then I was around 30 and I was like, yeah, well, that's probably a good career at this point. I wanted to really coach it at that point. I just felt like most of the time I was sitting on the teams at the, you know, and in indie ball and in Europe, all the guys wanted me to coach them. Even the coaches wanted to sit down and, and really talk about my methods and, and things that I had learned and understand. And so I really tra- I transitioned into a coach at that point and, and put all this online and, and my methods and my training methods because I had some really unique and different biomechanical approaches. I had some very different lifting approaches. A lot of it's controversial. And then, you know, really quick, I wound up consulting with major league teams and, and using my my evaluation systems and their scouting departments and and then just kept working with guys and you know i've worked in with all levels and and that's where i am today so awesome man thanks for sharing um we're gonna keep it rolling so uh zinger why don't you uh kind of share what's uh what's on your heart in terms of your journey and everything you've been through all right right on uh john heisinger currently live in phoenix arizona uh, running a fuel factory. Uh, we have everywhere from little leaguers to major leaguers. Um, primarily focused on pitching, but we also do some stuff with position players as well. Um, kind of my baseball journey, I guess I started playing at Michigan State. Um, big uh, learning, or learning point in my career, 2004, cracked off the tip of my elbow. Was supposed to be a career ender. Um, really kind of dove into the mental side of stuff, the nutrition side of stuff, and then started learning from, you know, guys like Fletch and Brent and Woolforth and other guys that were just, uh, you know, leaders in the game and guys that had stuff, like especially, you know, meeting Brent and going down and training with Brent was a big a big turning point for me, just athleticism-wise and focusing on a lot of the stuff uh, that challenged me. So, um, you know, nowadays, still trying to be a student of the game and just learn as much as I can um, about the human body, about the mind, the mind-body connection, all that stuff. But excited to share some more later. So, thank you. No doubt, man. We can dive deep. I know you got it in you, brother. (laughs) Um, Jason, kind of share your story, dude. It's another unique one. Yeah, thanks for – for having me, um, went to D, uh, D3, Cal Lutheran University, uh, drafted the second round out of there by the Houston Astros, um, came up through the minor league system with them, uh, got to the big leagues, and then they traded me off to uh, Colorado, where I currently live now, and I played for about two and a half years with the Rockies. Um, ended up injuring my rotator cuff uh, in spring training 2008, ended up tearing it in 2009. Uh, after they traded me to the uh, to the Yankees, and uh, I spent the better part of the next uh, two three years just kind of working my way back. Um, outside of, of uh, organized baseball, I played indie ball down in uh, Amarillo, 
they traded me down to uh, El Paso. And while I was in El Paso, I was really questioning whether or not I still wanted to play baseball. Um, but I was having a hell of a lot of fun uh, teaching baseball to the younger guys that were on that team. So um, decided to change hats, took off the player hat and put on the coaching hat and started that journey here in Denver, started working with youth athletes, uh, providing arm care programs, um, basically teaching what I, what I knew, which was the, the Jager sports program. And, and one of my mentors is Alan Jager. Um, and then my students really pushed the envelope for me and kind of helped open my eyes to some additional training methods out there. Um, ended up uh, working with some of the driveline guys up in Seattle. And so we integrate uh, a portion of, of the driveline program. We use um, the Jager sports program. And then uh, one of my instructors also had some knowledge in the uh, Florida baseball ranch program. So we've kind of taken various aspects of all three and combined them into our own uh, training philosophy and our own training program. And so we currently work with uh, majority high school college uh, athletes. We've got a handful of pro guys and uh, we still work with a lot of youth athletes as well because uh, it's really important for us to instill those good training habits at a young age so that as they get older, um, we can have a little bit more fun with them. 100%. I mean, each one of you have a unique story uh, in terms of how you got to where you are today. Each one of you are working with college level, professional level, high school, youth level athletes. Um, and what a what a kind of like science experiment, right? To deal with the different types of mental, emotional makeups, to deal with the physical flexibility, mobility, to deal with, you know, just how quickly they can learn and pick up new patterns and, and just new, you know, new um, hacks to their, their development. Um, so, you know, for anybody listening right now, whether you're a player, parent, coach, um, we're gonna tackle some hard hitting topics uh, that I think are really relevant to where everybody is right now. Um, and this is all future, you know, relevant kind of evergreen topics as well. So we're gonna kind of go through these. Uh, we just kind of touched on the whole personal baseball development journey and where everybody was at. Um, I wanna kind of go back in the same order. And um, Brent, why don't you lead it off and give us about, you know, just 60 seconds around what some, maybe some at-home training advice is that you're giving to some of the players that you work with all over the country. Sure. Um, you know, at home is, I, I think more guys need to, I know it's a financial thing, but more guys need to build at home gyms or garage gyms. You know, I was, we were FaceTiming um, a D1 pitcher at LSU the other day to see what he was doing. And he was training with, you know, a, a basically an infomercial device. <laughs> so it's like, if I could just get these guys, you know, I mean, some of those things are expensive. If, if you could turn that into a barbell and some plates or some dumbbells, I think that'd be a better investment than getting into a lot of these trinkets. But uh, I think that's the thing. I mean, I'd maybe take this opportunity is build a garage gym, build an at-home gym. I mean, if you're going to be in this game, as long as you'd like to be, you're going to use it again. You know, there's going to be times where you'll need it. Um, so I think pushing guys to do that. I mean, we have remote training for that um, with, with similar equipment, but I, I think that's where you need to be. And then also too, you need to be working on biomechanics. So take this as, a, as an off season approach right now and, and do work on drills and, and learn your mechanics, see how well your kinetic chain is, is moving and optimizing and, and how 
uh, you know, what things can you can improve on? So that's what you do with an off-season mentality. You got to come in and go, okay, what things do I need to get better at? Or, or and if you if you don't have the eye for that or the analysis that you know that you need, then you reach out for a coach and give you that analysis. And then you just take this time to work on that biomechanically in the gym, physically getting your anatomy and your body to better place to better implement those movements. I think. I think that's what guys need to be doing now, taking this as the extended off season. Uh, and if you don't have the equipment because you're out of your gym, you need to find a way to build it home. If it is getting creative and hand making it, uh, I think it's better than getting on infomercials and buying, uh, you know, gadgets. So. With that being said, Brent, um, what would be three basically, you know, pieces of equipment that you would say, these are the three things that are most important in your opinion? Well, you know, I'm, I believe great athletes uh, make hard throwing good pitchers. Um, it's not everything, but as far as the body that it takes to, to be elite, you, you really need an elite body. And the better, more elite you can develop your body athletically, the more successful you're going to be. So I think a barbell would be key, you know, just getting a barbell, learning, like we use an Olympic method and Olympic method is a very athletic method, learning how to move the barbell efficiently, sequencing it through these Olympic movements would, would be huge. So getting a barbell, getting some rubber plates, you know, and then if you're going to get into the tools, I love the king of the hill, you know, the force plates for driving the plate, learning on how your lower half works. I love even like uh, big league edge, Vila pros, uh, Vila Pro's harness, um, you know, any harness I think really helps kind of learn the hips, learn the lower half. I think that's, I mean, that's a huge piece. If you look at the science to pitching healthy and pitching at a high level is learning your lower half. So those are some great tools for it. Um, also like med balls, we use a med ball approach, a two-handed med ball approach to use an overload principle without putting a lot of torques in, on the arm. Uh, so I, I like using the med balls to then teach the kinetic chain and optimizing the kinetic chain. So those are the, th those are the tools we use in our programming. So. Absolutely. Um, thanks for sharing that, man. All right. Zinger, Zinger, open it up, brother. So uh, some at home training advice and some tips and tools that you would recommend. All right. Right on. I think uh, one of the biggest things that, gets neglected, you know, even when we are in season and doing a lot of stuff is the mental game. So what I've been recommending to a lot of my guys, you know, especially if they can't get in a bullpen to throw a bullpen or their throwing program is basically to go through, do some breath work and then do some visualization, you know, take yourself there in your mind. And, you know, obviously the physical training stuff, I think there's a lot of stuff you can do at home, um, body weight, I, I love the barbell stuff, the med balls. Um, I think there's a lot of stuff we can do at home. So, you know, both physical and mental, and then, you know, ideally interlacing the two and, you know, going through and seeing yourself do, do it on field. Yeah, so just briefly walk us through, because um, we know the power of visualization. We've talked about this at length that uh, different times we've linked up in person. Um, so, Walk us through maybe a, a quick set of prompts that a player can kind of talk them through if they're closing their eyes and they're going through it, whether it's, you know, verbal out loud prompts or just a mental prompt. And a lot of times we'll start off with like a, a simple box breath where you're going to inhale, let's say for three seconds, hold for three, exhale for three, and then hold for three. And we'll either lay down or stand up and just 
that breath is going to move with your focus. So you're going to go from, uh, you're going to inhale, bring those pinkies together. You're going to hold for three. Then you're going to exhale for three. If you're laying on the ground, you're going to let them go all the way down. But you'll do each finger. So you're, you're basically practicing being focused in that exact present moment, which as we know on the mound, that's what, you know, you have your elite performance and it's because you're there, you're, you're focused beyond, you know, obviously your preparation was a big piece, but your best performances are when you're out there and you're in laser tunnel vision mode. So um, we'll basically take them through, you know, one to two sets on each finger and then go ahead and close your eyes. Or it's actually, once you get good at it, you can do it with your eyes open where you basically just visualize and see yourself in that moment. Um, like it's right now versus like, I think a lot of times when I first started doing visualization, I, it would be something that was, you know, down the road or I'd have an easy time, you know, Hey, I'm going to recall my last really good outing or some good pitches. And I think, you know, taking that to the current moment is something that there's a lot of power in that. So I know that's something I used, you know, in the off season when, when I was injured, but also sometimes during the off season when I didn't have throwing partners or catchers or whatever, I would just go to that theater of the mind, if you will. Absolutely. We can dive down the rabbit hole as well. Um, so Jay, um, yeah, why don't you share and jump on in too? Sure. So, you know, I, I think those are all great ideas from, from both Brent and, uh, and Zinger. Um, you know, get some weights if you have access to them. You know, breathing exercise, visualization are great. Um, I think this is a time where guys need to get creative. Uh, you know, I've, I've seen guys on, uh, on Twitter, you know, squatting with hogs on their shoulders because they live on a farm. You know, I've seen guys uh, utilize hills at a park or up in the mountains. Um, you know, you can throw football around. You can, um, you can go to the park and long toss with a buddy. I mean, those things are still uh, very – very applicable to what we're trying to do. You're trying to keep your arm in shape. Um, you know, I'm a big long toss guy. So, you know, if you can get out there and, and chuck a ball around, throw the ball, um, in terms of uh, having a piece of training equipment that I think is extremely valuable in this time, I think the Jager bands are one of the cheapest, most effective tools that a, an athlete can have right now. Um, you can hook it up just about anywhere in your house, in your garage, around a pole. Um, you can utilize the different uh, varying resistances for, you know, for some exercise stuff. You can do some mobility work with it. You can long toss with them, or you can just do some just general arm conditioning with it. Um, you know, if you want to do more kind of weightlifting stuff and you don't have access to your preferred training facility, a 24 hour or a home gym or something like that, again, you're going to have to get creative, you know, do a quote unquote prison workout. Uh, where you're going to have to find heavy things and hold them or walk around your, uh, your neighborhood or go find a, a hill to work on. Um, but this is a time when you're going to be really challenged in terms of what your creativity is. You're, you're effectively kicked outside of your comfort zone. And in this moment or in this time right now, you've got to find a way to get comfortable being uncomfortable. And so, you know, working the mental side of the game is extremely important. I think the breathing exercises that Zinger just mentioned are fantastic and they should be utilized on a daily basis because it's probably one of the least practiced aspects of our game. Um, we all know about weightlifting. We all know about throwing, but very few of us actually sit down and close our eyes and either practice listening to our breath 
or visualizing those things that we want to be better at. Yeah, one of the things uh, we did like an off, you know, player call and we talked about because uh, we help players get a video together. Right. And we're so visual as athletes kind of learning. And what a powerful thing to do before you go to bed every night when your subconscious is most receptive. Dude, just watch some of your highlight clips, even if it was just three pitches that you threw and you struck out this dude that your mom or dad filmed in, in your last game, whatever it is. If you're able to use this time as an opportunity to just see yourself at your best over and over and over again, dude, that's going to help you when you get ready to get back onto the field and get in season. So, um, all right, next uh, one we're going to hit is um, kind of online training technology, of, you know, for remote training. So many of you guys have delved into now because you have, you have players all over the world and all over the country that you work with um, is being able to work. Um, remotely with someone, walk them through some video, do even a FaceTime bullpen, et cetera. I'm just curious how each of you are using technology right now to, to serve and work with your own uh, players at the moment. Brent, why don't you kick us off on this one? Definitely. Um, technology is a big part of how I run the training. Uh, you know, remote has gotten obviously more push right now with what's going on. So I have um, all my training is online. We also have an app that allows them to engage more and stay more connected through logging their workouts with us. So that having something that's going to help you uh, in your programming, what you're supposed to do every day um, and, and give you some instruction to, to do that correctly and do that well or, or some feedback, I think that's really an important piece of technology. I think a lot of kids right now, the ones that didn't have good off-season approaches are really, really going to get hurt in this quarantine time. I think those who had good off-season approaches, this quarantine time is only going to help them. So I think if you're out there and you just – this should prove to you, if, hey, did you have a good off-season approach? You should know, know by now. Uh, and, and maybe it's a time to start learning and developing that. So, you know, getting some type of online programming right now, remote programming, or, or, or get a coach that's willing to do remote training with you, that's huge. Other piece of technology, I, you know, I'm, I'm a biomechanist. I love biomechanics. So uh, it's, I, I've tried, I've always tried to find the cheapest way to get this, you know, motion capture so I can tell the consumer they can go do the same thing. You know, don't just watch me do it. Get it and do it yourself. You can get the 4D motion sports you get the two sensor system right now for around 400, 500 bucks, and you can start capturing hip to shoulder sequencing. You can move it around on your arm. You can start to see how the, your body's working, and you can study biomechanical systems like like I have to really understand how is this supposed to work, and am I doing this correctly? What could I work on? I think that's a great piece of technology. And then the other ones are like, you know, the ball tracking stuff. Like, you know, I'm I'm a big fan of Diamond Kinetics. I think they've done a good job at delivering a hundred dollar a ball uh, with an, a Bluetooth inertial sensor to give us spin rates, to give us horizontal break and vertical break and, and spin efficiency and stuff like that. I think that's another key piece. So if you're connecting the biomechanic technology to the ball tracking technology, there's so much you can learn and work on right now. And then you'll probably need a coach to help you really understand it. And, and that, that's where you should be right now. If you're not doing that this off season, you're really not a serious pitcher on my end or a serious baseball player. That's the way I look at it. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, no doubt about it. Um, Zinger, why don't you uh, dive on in on the next, uh, the same topic? All right, cool. Um, 
you know, technology-wise, with our uh, remote programming right now, basically it's going to start off with guys submit a video of their bullpen or for our hitting guys, a video of their hitting. And then we're using an app called Team Builder. So I basically, I was building an app for a few years and then Team Builder kind of came in as a uh, good alternative uh, as far as the calendar system for me. Um, but basically building out checklists for guys, I'm a big checklist guy. So whether it's nutrition or it's a thought of the day or it's you know some mental work, um, been really uh, focused on that part of the game. Thanks for sharing that, dude. I didn't thought you were gonna keep. I thought you were gonna keep going. Although Brent, Brent's probably the longest-winded person on on the call today. Um, I'm sorry. I'm trying, guys. I'm trying. <laughs> uh, Jay, why don't you jump on? Sure. So, uh, I mean, very similar to these guys. You know, right now, video. Anything that you can do remotely is gonna have to be done through video. Very little hands-on stuff's gonna happen. So, you know one of the best tools that we have is a cell phone. Um, you know, being able to take video of yourself doing whatever it is that you need to do. If you need to do uh, some pitching mechanics, you need to do some hitting mechanics, just take video of yourself from the side, from the back, um, of your swing, of your pitch, whatever it might be. And then, uh, you know, we're utilizing, you know, something like uh, Coach's Eye where we can sit there and break it down, um, you know, draw pictures, annotate on it. We can talk to it. Um, and we can just go over things with our athletes. Uh, Zoom meetings like we're on right now um, have become very popular. Um, they're actually a great, very powerful tool um, that we can connect with our athletes. We can do our, um, our visualization stuff with them through here. Uh, we can also talk about mechanics. We can go through the screen share and we can look at videos. We can go through the screen share and we can uh, annotate on stuff. We can look at some comparative stuff. Um, but yeah, it, it's right now the technology is basically limited to, you know, how can we communicate with one another remotely and whether that's through an app where we're, you know, taking videos and annotating to it or we're chatting with each other face to face like this or just on a phone call. Um, but those have become the most powerful tools for us. And then, you know, again, trying to figure out ways to be creative with what we want to do where you don't have access to, you know, some of the tech and some of the, um, training methods that you were utilizing, you know, as a player at your preferred training facility. 100%, uh, 100% on that. And we've been telling that to uh, more and more of our athletes. It's like, okay, so just because you can't get to a facility, just because you can't get to your high school field, that doesn't mean that you can't get better. There are ways, you know, I said this earlier, when we have constraints, the best performers in the world will always innovate. If you're not innovating, you're dying, period. It's the laws of the universe. Everything innovates. Animals have to innovate to stay alive. Plants have to innovate and find sun and water and our root systems innovate you know, as trees to stay alive. So as a player, in essence, your growth, your trajectory of your development is gonna be in direct comparison to your ability to innovate, hands down. Um, Got me on a soapbox there, fellas. Um, so yeah, cool. Let's move on to, um, you know, this is a huge, uh, what do you call it? Provocative, as Will Ferrell likes to say in, in that song with Kanye. 
so provocative. Biomechanics versus pitching theory. And we have, you know, a pretty provocative character on this, on this call um, with Brent. So why don't you kind of dive in because this has been kind of a theme for you for, for quite a long time. Uh, I'll let you take the floor, brother. Yeah, I, I guess I like to uh, deal with stuff. I mean, I think as a coach, too, your job is just to pick on people at the end of the day. It's really your job. So I guess I like it a little too much. But, um, you know, I guess I brought up this talk, but, you, you know, with, with pitching and if you just get on Twitter, you can see a lot of this. But, you know, a lot of the Twitter battles in pitching and pitching and what's the right way and what's the wrong way, you know, you see a lot of theory. And, and the way I looked at it was – for me, after I hurt myself, a lot of the theories just basically said I was done. So I needed more than that. And then when I went into other sports, I started real, seeing how other sports look at the athlete very different than baseball. And then I, I started saying, okay, well, well, what's the real truth here? And then the truth at the end of the day, you know, we start going into science. We start going into things that are really concrete. So, and you know, the science is always you know, more is coming out, more is coming out. We're better understanding, better technology. But there, there is a lot, a lot of scientific information and data that breaks down the pitching delivery. I mean, it's, it's endless at this point, what, what has already come out. And I've studied that for 15 years or probably past that. I was studying it in my career, especially after the injury. And, when, and then I started laying out what is, what is my understanding or how am I going to break this down from the first movement to the last movement? And then that's how you start capturing movements, measuring movements, and then understanding the sequencing and the timing of how the whole thing starts to work together. And then that's the biomechanical understanding of pitching. And it's very different than a theory uh, on how you think pitching works or what worked for you and in, in, in getting into a lot of, not that they're bad things, but like cues or feeling. I typically steer more towards measurements and what's happening and what the science is showing so it's, it's created almost two worlds of, of pitching instruction. You have a world of biomechanics, which you don't even have to be a pitcher. You could just get a, an expert, a, you know, that has a PhD in biomechanics, and he's going to have a real strong understanding of pitching movements. And then you're going to get a player who played for a long time and probably very successful. He's going to have a very different approach. And I think it creates good debates. Now, I'm going to swing more towards the scientific side just because it's measured. A lot of it is proven. You know, they've, They've washed out a lot of the theory because they've shown what's correlating. But there's still a lot of good information on the other side because there's a lot of experience over there. So I'm just curious in how the other guys on here look at it. I swing more towards the biomechanics side. I'm just wondering how they, where they look at it. So. Well, yeah. Well, I know we got three different personalities here. So uh, let's, uh, let's let Zinger kind of dive in on this next. All right. So, I mean, I definitely see the value to both sides. Um, I think it all ultimately starts in the mind. Um, so I think it's a combination of all of it. Obviously, some of that stuff is measurable. Some of that stuff is not measurable. Um, as far as the, the pitching delivery, I feel like biomechanics has helped us maybe get rid of a lot of the old stuff that we were told, um, whether it's, you know, whatever, point the ball to second base or, you know, whatever. Um, a lot of different things that were basically proven to be, you know, inefficient or inefficient. So, you know, I think for my guys, as much as it is, it's maximizing the athlete. Um, biomechanically, obviously, the way you do anything is the way you do everything. So I think when guys are pitching, ultimately, 
if they see the last foot of flight and then they let it happen, it's different than if they're up there, you know, trying to think of every piece of it. So I kind of call it going beyond mechanics where yes, you have to have the understanding and you have to have the foundation of, okay, how does it work? How is it supposed to work? What am I doing versus what could I be doing? But then ultimately it's going to be about getting that guy out 66 inches away. So I have to shut down all of that stuff because now it's competition time, you know? So I think there's a time and place for both of it, but I think definitely having a foundation of an understanding biomechanically and then, okay, let's add some things that help, you know, get guys out, you know, because at the end of the day, that's to me the number one thing is if, if I, it doesn't matter if I have the best biomechanics or the best spin rate, or I can throw, you know, a ball through a wall. If I can't get that guy out, it really doesn't matter. So kind of, kind of went full circle there, but. Yeah, no, good points. I mean, you're right. Um, when we talk to our student athletes, one of the things that we talk about is, you know, is your overall health and wellness um, being prioritized for a long career? And the biomechanics and the frameworks of, you know, how your body moves, you know, needs to be tailored on an individual basis with kind of an overall framework of how hitting, pitching, fielding, and everything work. Um, but ultimately, if you have if you have that framework, then how are you going to be able to perform? Because at the end of the day, when the rubber meets the road, it's like who can execute in high pressure situations and you know help their team win win the pitch, win the win the game, win the inning, whatever it is. So, all right, Jay, why don't we uh, why don't we let you kind of dive on in? Sure. So. Uh, you know, baseball is a game that's rooted in a lot of tradition, a lot of history, uh, very old school. You know, you have kind of black and white, right? You've got a sect of people that think this is the way it's always been done. This is the way it should always be done. And then you have another group of people that are pushing the boundaries, whether it's a guy like Brent or, or Zinger or, you know, the guys at the driveline or Jager or, or any of those guys that have introduced some new things to the sport that were considered or are considered controversial. And, and it's, it's very black and white, right? You either believe it or you don't believe it. And we get into these battles all the time, whether it's on Twitter or Instagram or social media, whatever it might be. You know, you could be a weighted ball guy. You could be an anti-weighted ball guy. You can be a swing up guy. You can be a swing down guy. Uh, you know, you could be a long toss guy. You could not be a long toss guy. So it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of gray area in between. Uh, or a lot of compromise that people are willing to take. And I think that's really important that, you know, you can still push the boundaries of biomechanics with pitch theory, and you can still keep some of the old traditional stuff that we're used to, right? There are some things that are absolutes in, in the game, certain things or positions or movements that you have to do in order to have success. But we've allowed science now to creep into the game and, show us that there maybe is a more efficient way to do things or is a slightly better way to do this, that, or the other. Is it 100% every single time? Absolutely not, right? There are always going to be exceptions to the rule, right? There are going to be guys who have, you know, a late arm at foot strike that are going to get away with it for their entire careers and never have an arm problem. There's going to be a guy who is the, the most perfect mechanics you can possibly think of who's going to blow out and have Tommy John or blow out a shoulder, whatever it might be. So I think whatever the path is that uh, an athlete is taking or is going to take, you know, don't 
don't try and bounce back and forth between one thing or the other. Pick something and, and really try and study it and try and understand it and know it. And that will hopefully lead you down the path that, that you want to take as opposed to, well, I'm going to go listen to this guy, but he tells me that this guy is bad. I'm going to go listen to this guy and he tells me this guy is bad. And now you don't know who's right and who's wrong. And your training becomes really muddy and muddled. And now you're kind of stuck in the middle road in this gray area without really understanding yourself because you're too busy listening to other people. If you're going to do something, do it to the full extent, right? If you're going to train weighted balls, train weighted balls. If you're going to train, you know, Olympic heavy lifting, do Olympic heavy lifting. If you're going to be a long toss guy, be a long toss guy. But don't sit there and, and get caught in these battles that we get into, um, you know, trying to look for the perfect solution because not the, the perfect solution is not going to be for everybody because everybody's body is different. Everybody's biomechanics works differently. You just got to understand yourself better than anybody else. And I think that's really important for somebody who's listening to this is, you know, don't get caught up in it all. Find what works for you and stick to it because that's ultimately what's going to make you successful. What a huge point. Um, the opportunity to understand how to coach yourself, how to feel your game, how to be able to get clear on what your cues are versus mental, physical, visual cues. I mean, you hit on a whole nother, you know, potential like series we could do just on understanding um, how to coach yourself. And I would say, and you guys can kind of chime in on this, but there is an epidemic that is happening right now in specifically athletic development. And that is, there are so many people saying they have all the answers, they know exactly what needs to be done to turn your son into this all-star or your daughter into this all-star. And the reality is, is that every student athlete has their own kind of history that needs to be understood, their own biomechanical patterns, there's just this whole uh, blueprint that needs to be understood before you can even start prescribing all of these solutions. Like, I think as a whole, our industry needs to do a better job of, of, a, of a more formalized intake process um, to how we then prescribe, hey, this is what aligns with you know, your pitching development. This is what makes sense for your hitting development. I was on a call with a guy yesterday, one, a, a coach that works for our staff, and I saw, we were talking about one of his hitters. He's a high school coach in Arizona. And I'm like, dude, I've seen this dude play a few times. And I have a concern because I've seen him play. I've seen him had six at bats. And, you know, with a trained eye as a hitter, I can, based on how a, a hitter responds to certain pitches, I can typically de determine if they, have a, if they have a visual deficiency, meaning they're not able to see the baseball well. They're not picking up spin or, recognition or depth perception or whatever. Um, and I'll finish here in a second. But the long story short is the amateur hitting coach who doesn't understand the complexities of that overall process is going to say, okay, well, let's make sure, you know, he's got this big stride and, and leg kick and let's make sure he's getting enough linear going and he's getting off his backside and doing all this stuff. And it's like, dude, that hitter might just need to keep his head like steady still like Pujols or Sweeney back in the day and just be total rotational and keep his head and his, 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 uh, his eyes super still. And you guys see that with 
with pitching on a whole nother level. Um, and I'm just going to open up for a little quick kind of around the horn on that topic. Um, 30 seconds, Brent. I'm capping you. I'm going to time it. And you're done in 30. Um, I mean, all great points. I, I think the only thing I might add to it is, um, yes, customization per athlete is very important, but most of what I find is when the, I get a 15 to 18 year old or 20 year old, they, they aren't even basic stuff. So I, I think a lot of kids are searching for customization before they've even laid the, the groundwork of a base of, of training, even off-season training. A lot of kids don't even start off-season training until they get hurt. Then they're like, okay, now i got to do something. So I think customization is great, but you really can't have a lot of success customizing training or work or analysis for an athlete if he doesn't really have a training model that we can then go into and really put the training in for him. So it's like we gotta, we got to get the base down before we can customize what they really, really need. But you're right, customization is important, but we just, we're just so poorly developed in this sport. We just got to get these guys to start understanding the components of development. That's a great point. Um, and I guess I was assuming that there is a framework that you're talking about, the foundation, right? Um, so to your point, yeah, the framework foundation has to come first. Um, cool. Uh, Zinger, why don't you kind of chime in on this one? Um, I think my theory would be best summarized as making the kid their own best coach. You know, it's not about me being their own best coach. Like, yes, I want to be a resource, but ultimately they need to dive in, you know, to, to whatever it is, personal responsibility. We can give them all the tools in the world, but if they don't really take full ownership of it, you know, and I think the way that I see this, um, in my opinion, that guys fail is when they sit around, they just always tell them what they're doing right or wrong instead of asking a question like, hey, what did that feel like? You know, and it's like, sometimes just asking that question will show you whether they have a clue or not. You know, whereas like Brent's talking about, if they don't have a foundation of, let's say their delivery and they have no idea, how are they gonna ever adjust? Or if they're really good, you know, and all of a sudden they miss on a couple pitches, how are they gonna self-correct? So I like to ask a lot of questions um, versus just telling them exactly what I see um, and kind of leading them, you know, to it. Kind of the, the theory of, you know, you can feed a man for a day if you give him a fish, but if you teach him how to fish, you can feed him for his whole life. So. I knew you'd drop some uh, ancient Chinese proverb on us before this was over. Um, <laughs> uh, Jay, why don't you chime in, my man? Uh, just to kind of build on, you know, like what Brent said and how, you know, we don't have a foundation uh, for a lot of these athletes. And I think the problem with that is, uh, or the reason that we don't have that foundation is because we've got too many kids that are too busy trying to play games and showcase instead of, hey, I've got to build that foundation. I've got to learn how to lift weights and get strong. I've got to learn more about myself and what makes me move. You know, building on Zinger's point there. So, you know, you've got a whole generation of athletes who have basically grown up playing tournaments every weekend, every week of the summer and the fall and the winter and the spring. And they've never really actually gotten to sit down and say, all right, now I've got to build this foundation for when I get bigger and stronger or older so that I can start to you know, figure out what it is I need to be better at. And I think we've, we've specialized too early of an age. 
Um, we play way too many games at too early of an age. We do way or, or not enough of education, uh, not just of the, the, the player, but I think the education part needs to happen with the parents because they're the ones that are writing checks. They're the ones that are driving the kids, you know, to the tournaments and living vicariously through their, their sons and daughters, right? Instead of them going and doing that, let's just say 12 weekends for the summer, what if we said, hey, we're only going to play four or five tournaments, but the other times we're going to spend more time practicing or we're going to teach you guys a little bit more about the mental side of the game or as they get older, hey, we're going to take some time and go work uh, in a weight room setting and get uh, stronger and learn what that's all about because that's going to be way more important to you guys as you get older than some worthless piece of junk metal or trophy that you're going to win at this tournament that we're going to go drive however many hours and spend however many hundreds or thousands of dollars to attend. So I think the foundation needs to start much earlier and that will put into place what you're able to do later in their careers where guys like Brent and Zinger and I can get a hold of them and really capitalize on what it is specifically they need. But without that foundation, We've got to start all over, and sometimes starting all over happens at 16, 17, 18, 20 years old, and now you're running out of time. Yeah, so for players that are listening, parents that are listening, um, coaches that are listening, I guess the, the call to action is, are you 100% clear on what it is for your pitching development foundation? And if you're not, then you're going to need to get connected to uh, the experts that do know, whether they're in your region of the country or you find them online. Um, and I would say this, as a parent, we have an epidemic that's going on that not a lot of people are talking about still. And that is single sport overuse injuries. And, you know, just candidly, people blowing out. It's still not talked about enough. So as a parent, if you're gonna take a leadership role in your son's life, um, and I'm just gonna talk pitching specific, you have to be hands-on in terms of understanding how are they being taken care of? How are you being educated as a parent um, in this process? You're never gonna be an expert on, on this subject matter unless you're a parent like Brent is and Jason is, and they, and they live and eat and sleep and breathe this. But if you're not, the livelihood of your kid's baseball career is based on them having this foundation that these guys are talking about. Just full stop on that one. Um, all right, let's move on. Um, and we've kind of touched on this. So maybe uh, just elite pitching development. Um, we can do kind of a quick, you know, around the horn on that. And then we're going to dive in a, a few other deeper controversial topics as well. So, uh, Brent, why don't you kick us off on this one? Yeah, good transition, because like we talked about a base, I think if, if you're going to try ultimately work through your career to optimize your, 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 your best version of yourself as, as an athlete and a pitcher, um, player development-wise, you need to have the foundation of some type of, of a mobility approach, uh, um, a mobility routine. You're going to need a strength and conditioning routine that has an emphasis on um, the kinetic chain. You're going to have to have a biomechanical understanding, so a biomechanical routine to to develop these elite mechanics that that are going to help you stay healthy 
and, and, and go to your, your highest level of performance. And that's, that's, that's the biggest challenge in the game. And it, it almost, if you can do that and stay healthy, you, you gain a huge advantage just because you stayed healthy. So that, that's a must. Um, nutrition, um, you know, recovery, sleep. Um, you know, I, I think that's, that's going to be the, the foundation that you need if, you, if you're going to really push yourself to an elite level. And if, and if you don't have that and you don't know each one of those components incredibly well and you spend an incredible amount of time there, then you're going to fall somewhere short of your ultimate level. Thanks. That was right on, right on track. Zinger, why don't you kind of chime in on it and um, go from there? Uh, I would say, you know, excellence breeds excellence. So if, if guys want to be an elite pitcher or, you know, be an elite performer, they have to be able to do that in all areas of life. You know, and I know I was guilty of this, especially when I was in college, where it was like, you know, I'm just a baseball player, you know, kind of going to class, kind of, doing this, kind of doing that, but then expecting the results on the field where, you know, in those, all those areas that Brent was talking about, if you're not checking all those boxes, you know, you're leaving something out there. So it's not to say that there's not exceptions to that rule. We've all played with guys that can go out. We've played with guys that don't need to sleep. We've played with guys that don't need to train and they still throw a hundred. But as far as, you know, I think at the end of the day, we're all going to be done playing the game. And I think if you can reflect on your career and you have peace that you left it all out there versus, you know, man, I wish I would have done that or I wish I would have done that. Um, I think, you know, especially to the young guys listening to this, the little things do matter, you know, like whether it's your decisions on the field or off the field, the way you treat people, you know, the food you put in you, the thoughts that you have, and then obviously your training and, you know, having a clue with what you're doing. So the holistic approach uh, that Zinger's talking about is really um, is really aligned with um, each and every athlete kind of reaching their potential. And I got into a long conversation with a gentleman in Arizona who works with a lot of uh, professional athletes. And we have some amazing role models right now that are building, you know, just universal legacy level careers. Uh, and we'll talk about two really quickly right now and then we'll move on. So you got Tom Brady, right? Um, which if you haven't studied Tom Brady and what he's doing on a, on a day-to-day and month-to-month -month basis, off-season, in-season, he would be a really good role model to look into. That dude is super diligent, uh, disciplined um, with what he's done. And that just shows kind of the whole concept of, you know, you can raise your level of trajectory and take quantum leaps in your development if you have the right framework uh, for your development, and that is master coaching, deliberate practice, and then the ignition and the desire. Those are the three components for talent acquisition. Deliberate practice, master coaching, and uh, the drive and desire, basically the motivation. That's what science has studied. That's what case studies, you know, out the wazoo. So maybe as if you're a parent or you're a player, maybe the good question is to ask um, yourself, do I have master coaching available to me, world-class level master coaching available to me? That could be online. That could be in person. Do I have, uh, am I doing the deliberate practice, which means I'm doing um, 
present focused awareness um, practice focused on the right things at the right time in a progressive model? And then thirdly, do I have the desire, the ignition, the, the, the goals? And what I've seen, and you guys can chime in on this a little bit as well, when a player has master coaching, when a player um, has, um, is doing the deliberate practice, usually desire is, can, can be increased because what I see is, and, and this new school of uh, you know, player, I hear this all the time. These kids aren't, they're not the same anymore. They're not the same. They're entitled. They're this, they're this, they're this, whatever, dude. Like you got to adjust as a coach. And if you're not adjusting and innovating as a coach, maybe you're not able to connect with your players. But what I've seen in my experience, if players have master coaching, um, if they have deliberate practice and a progressive model that has, you know, the right framework or foundation in place, they're going to take more ownership of their understanding and they're going to see success and success leaves clues and success breeds more success and progress is addictive and what we're trying to do as coaches and leaders and mentors in this in in what we do is how can we get a young student athlete addicted to their progress because once a once a player's soul is on fire and they're seeing the results like dude you don't have to friggin coach them that much at all anymore they're just so aligned in their in their development that they're doing stuff on their own. You're like, damn, dude, you you worked out on Sunday? Like I told you, that was a day off. Um, so I'd love to just kind of get, uh, and I know I kind of freestyle these things, but I'd love to get your you guys' take on that uh, before we move forward. I guess we'll go in the same order. Yeah, that's huge, man. It's commitment, commitment to your pro the programming because ultimately they are are really excited and they they see the results and they just they're 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 seeing the future. I think that you start showing them the the light at the tunnel, at the end of the tunnel, and and they see the prize and they see their dreams coming true or coming closer. It's it's everything. I mean, with me, I've noticed that I've had way better engagement uh, in my programming the more I highlight the, the success stories. So the more they see in my programming, all my testimonials keep coming through and, and, and they get to learn more about them or they come down to train here and they meet them. Man, I, I just spirals more success stories and more fire and more desire and, and, and more energy in here. And, it's, and that's why environments are so huge. And I know, you know, big league clubs are always trying to build, you know, these clubhouses that, that have that culture, have that like fire, like everyone's really focused and going in the same direction together as a team. I, I mean, it's, it's everything. I, I mean, you're not going to be successful as an instructor if you don't create that environment. You're not going to be successful as a team. I mean, it, you're not going to have a successful program. It's everything. Yeah, and you guys have each built your own tribe uh, and your community of just believers that kind of like, I mean, each of you, you kind of got a little bit of a cult following, um, you know, in, in a good way. And that creates that culture is really powerful. So, um, Zinger, why don't you kind of share a little bit on that as well? Right on. I mean, I think uh, the culture is absolutely huge. Um, a lot of you guys probably are familiar with Matthew Libertor, but he's a kid that, um, you know, trained him since he's 11 years old. But he was guys always ask me when was he, when did you know he was different? And it was the first time he came to me, we were doing jump rope. He couldn't do it. He came back a week later, 
crushed the jump rope, stared me down. I asked his dad if he had a twin brother. I was like, that's not the same kid. And he's like, no, he made me stop at Sports Chalet and buy him a jump rope on the way home. And he practiced before he came in and ate dinner to make sure he had that. You know, and it was like, you know, a lot of times I'll see guys that let's say they come in and they get evaluated by one of us and we show them things they can get better at. A lot of those guys, you know, they take it as they lose confidence because there's something they need to work on. Whereas Matthew had always, just like you were talking about, it inspired him. Like he kept going and he kept wanting to get better. And he made me a better coach with the questions that he would bring you know, because part of it's he's left-handed and he's very wise beyond his years. But, you know, those questions, you know, help, you know, build the culture that we have now where it's like, you know, we've got, we had between 30 and 35 pro guys in there this off season. But it's like, you might have a kid like Libby, who's 20 years old, talking to a Manny Parra, who's 38, you know, and got eight years in the show and still playing in Mexico. But I mean, you you hear guys talk about all that stuff and it, it is inspiring. And you see guys that, you know, they're continuing to work on their craft. Now, not everybody's like that. I have guys that show up to that. It would blow your mind, the lack of things that they do. And they're still very, very good. Um, but to kind of go back to what we were talking about, that whole culture, you know, it, it's very fun to watch, you know, and it's, uh, it's back to the excellence. Uh, breeding excellence. No doubt. And it, uh, when teammates start to get other teammates involved, whether they're, um, you guys are at home as players listening, if you start to take ownership and you start involving some of your friends, um, you start to get this collective intelligence and you start to feed off of each other. That's why you guys are in team sports. You know, you don't play team sports just because you throw hard and you can hit a, you know, hit the ball really far. You play team sports because you love the camaraderie. Everybody's missing right now because during this quarantine, they're missing the brotherhood, the camaraderie that you have through your team sports. I mean, I think players right now are dealing with some serious emotional uh, trauma because just not being able to be on the field when they were expected and prepared to be on the field. Uh, Jay, why don't you kind of jump in on this and we'll move on to the next topic. Sure. I think, uh, you know, what you, these guys have already said is, is great. And I think it's just, it's learning as a coach how to connect with your players that are going to give them, uh, you know, the best output for what you're trying to put into them. So, you know, what, what, what we try and talk about is habit creation and the three phases of habit creation, right? There's the, I don't want to do it. There's I do it because I have to do it. And then I do it because I want to do it. Right. And getting from A to C is different for everybody. There are, uh, I always use the example of like my kids brushing their teeth, right? I would sit there and hound them, brush your teeth, brush your teeth. And they'd stomp upstairs and go do it. And then eventually they would do it because they knew if I, if they didn't do it, that I would tell them to go upstairs and brush their teeth. So that that's the second phase. And now they just do it because they see the value in brushing their teeth. They went to the, the dentist. The dentist said that they didn't have any cavities. We we're really proud of them. And that sense of accomplishment is something that they now want to uh, attain every single time they go back to the dentist. So it's the same thing when we teach, uh, you know, stuff with our athletes. It's, you know, finding a way that we can connect with them where they, you know, maybe at first they, they, they give us a little bit of pushback and then we start to do it and they start to see the value in it. They're like, hey, you know, I did my J-bands, my arm feels good. Okay, 
let's correlate that with performance. I went out and my arm feels good. I went out and I pitched really well. Boom. All of a sudden I was like, well, now every time in order for me to pitch well, I know I've got to do my band work. And so just finding the way that we can connect with our athletes and find what it is that motivates them and drives them is what's going to help you progress them through each stage, whether it's trying to create a new habit or trying to create that work ethic that you know is going to last them for the rest of their career. I was just laughing to myself thinking about, um, and I was at Zinger's place a couple of weeks ago before all this thing shook down and um, just the bookshelves that we all have, like what did we read to kind of ascertain this knowledge? And then what have we learned? I mean, I'm going to put in like a follow-up email or, or a post or something, just some recommended reading and maybe get a book or two suggestion from each of you guys, because there's been some foundational I mean, Jason, you probably have heard the, the, the book, The Power of Habit, you know, and how transformational habit creation can be uh, in our lives. So, all right, cool. I'm going to keep us on topic. Um, so let's jump into, uh, this is a provocative one, um, the take on weighted ball slash velocity training. Um, and we'll start back up with you, Brent, at the top. Yeah, I've been a big advocate against weighted baseballs, mainly with obviously like high intensity training. So if it's in like a velocity program where you're, you're, you have this mindset that just loading the arm with more stress is going to create more velocity. Well, if you look at the mechanism of the shoulder, typically when we throw, it strengthens internal rotators, weakens external rotators. So the reason that happens is to, because there's a, there's a little pole here, we're trying to spin, right, on an internotation. Uh, to actually create the acceleration, we do have to squeeze and contract the internotators, but we also have to weaken the externotators to really let it spin. So that's why we, we see with pitchers, they have weaker externotation strength than the average public, is because that releasing or weakening of the back shoulder to allow more spin in the humerus for arm speed um, is, uh, you know, it gets the job done, but over time it leads to injury. So that's why, the, you know, if, if, if I could say, okay, guys, there's another way to do this, and the other way is probably something you've never heard about, but it's called the kinetic chain. We can also create energy to the ball by pushing energy up our body, like jumping and running. If, if we can use that energy, what happens is we don't have to dive into this arm speed mechanism, which study shows just as you learned it, that it's going to eventually lead to injury. So if we can bring some kinetic energy into it, then it, we don't have to sit there and rely on this, this mechanism that is just, it's inevitable, we're going to eventually get hurt. And then on top of that, if you're using a weighted baseball approach, it's putting even more stress, more torque, more reps into that. And that's my issue with it is, is you're using a mechanism to that. I believe, you know, if you're just using the mechanism, at least injury, and then you're putting more stress on that. So that's why I like to get away from the weighted balls. I think it's as much the mentality as I don't like, as I don't like the weighted balls. I mean, cause I use an overload approach with, with medicine balls. It's just a two-handed approach. It doesn't allow you to go aggressively into externation. It more forces the arm to stay engaged with the body and use the kinetic energy, and it changes the mentality. It becomes a mentality of, man, how do I get my legs to work, my trunk to work, because I'm having a hard time throwing this ball with just my arm. And the problem is I feel like when you grab a weighted baseball and you're trying to you know, crank it up, you're going, how can I get my arm to go faster? 
Um, so to be honest, I've always really probably been more against the weighted baseball approaches because I don't like the mentality and the perspective of using arm speed because I believe in the science shows it's going to lead you to injury. And I like the perspective and the mindset of, of a med ball approach because it's going to engage more of the kinetic chain. So, Yeah, no, I get it. And obviously everybody's got uh, different opinions. So Zinger, why don't you share a little bit on your end? All right. Um, the weighted ball stuff that we do is typically your trampoline kind of stuff. Um, I do like to vary uh, for throwing programs, throwing football, throwing softball, um, and throwing baseball. I typically don't. I mean, I have guys who do some plyo stuff that they've done on their own. Um, that's not really something that I do. Um, just I think there's other alternatives that I like more. I do like the two-pound weighted balls. We do a lot of the med balls. Um, we do a lot of stuff with a yoga ball, too, because I see a lot of guys that um, can learn how to create more space and use their body better. Sometimes, especially certain guys with the smaller ball, they have a hard time with it. But if I give them a big ball, they can start to feel the, the space. So maybe like the mid-size Swiss ball, I think it's like 35-inch one, something like that. We'll do some stuff with that. Um, but as far as uh, weighted ball program, we don't necessarily do one, so. All right, thanks for sharing, man. Uh, Jason, uh, why don't you dive on in as well? Sure, so uh, I guess I'm the, the rare exception in this phone call that we, we do utilize weighted balls. Um, we've been utilizing driveline protocols for the last four or five years um, in various forms, but I like to kind of think of ourselves as a very conservative uh, weighted ball facility in that, you know, we're, we're not irresponsible in our training. I think a lot of people, when they talk about weighted balls or what they see is the fun and happy and exciting stuff that you get to do, whether it's a high intent throw and guys hitting absurd numbers on radar guns. But what they don't see is the four to six to eight weeks of progress that those guys made leading up to that, where they were literally just going into the facility you know, going through building their reps, building their volume, uh, incorporating that into, you know, a holistic approach with a weight room program that goes along with that as well to help build the entire structure, not just, you know, one piece. And I think a lot of people just need to understand that there's, there is a lot more that goes into it than just maybe what you see glamorized on social media. And that there are facilities out there that, you know, do take care and they do, uh, you know, like ours where, where we, you know, at the at the any slight sign of soreness, pain, anything that there is uh, that's going on, we're shutting guys down and saying, "All right, what's going on? Is there something else that's going? Uh, is it a mobility problem? Is it a strength problem? Is there some kind of a prior injury or something that was uh, that's causing us to have these complications?" Um, so it's not just the glamorous stuff that you see online. And that's why, you know, when we bring guys in, we make sure that they are ready, uh, that their arms and their bodies are prepared to go into this program, as opposed to let's just jump in there and throw everybody into this cookie cutter that, um, that, is been, that has been designed and, and somehow that's going to make us all throw harder and be better. And that's not right. You know, we talked about it earlier that there's, uh, you know, that specialization and, um, you know, blanket holistic approaches just don't work. You've got to be 
you, you've got to tailor each program to each individual. And that means, hey, I've got to say, do you have the strength to do this? Do you have any pre you know, underlying issues, uh, strength issues, mobility issues, pre, uh, prior injury history? All that stuff plays into you know, what we do with our training. Um, you know, and knock on wood, thankfully, you know, we've, we've had 100% success with all of our guys. Um, guys that maybe weren't having a ton of fun playing or training beforehand are now really enjoying coming to the facility and getting their work done. Um, they're buying into the other approaches, whether it's weightlifting, sleeping, uh, the nutritional side, the mental side, but they're all of a sudden, they're starting to buy into this because they're having more fun training in a, an ulterior style of, uh, of you know, training that they're used to, right? They're used to just going to the ballpark and doing what the coach tells them to do. And I think that's where you know, this, you know, weighted ball boom that you're starting to see, you know, whether you're throwing medicine balls down at, at top velocity or, uh, you know, you're throwing weighted balls up in Seattle at our place in Denver. Uh, people are enjoying it, having fun. But again, this goes back to our prior conversation of do your research, make sure that you understand what you're getting in yourself into. And if it works for you, that's great. Go for it. If it doesn't work for you, there are tons of other options out there. Right? There's a yoga approach, there's a long toss approach, there's a weightlifting approach, there's a med ball approach. Right? Everybody's got their way of doing things. Just make sure that whatever you do do, understand what you're doing. Don't just follow along because some coach is telling you to do it. Thank you for, uh, for shedding some light on that as well. Um, one of the last topics, and we touched on some of it earlier, so we can kind of, um, you know, keep it maybe a little bit of a different uh, point, but we talked a little bit about uh, the technology, the remote training and, and the video. So I just want to kind of get uh, from everybody, um, Brent, if you're working with somebody that's remote, um, what video do you want from them um, to be able to work with them? Or what drills would you like to see if you need to see functional movements on video? Um, or if you did a FaceTime, you know, call with, with a potential player that you're working with, just give us an idea of kind of how you're looking at things remotely. Yeah, I can do it simple with just um, a side view on them on the mound. Um, you know, side view, I prefer more than the back view and see more the body covering ground uh, and how it's covering ground. So I can give an analysis that way. Um, the guys in my programming, they'll send me like their med throw videos in the drills i can give analysis there but i still like those side views um i think that's the best i think a lot of kids want to give you those behind views and i can work with them but it's hard to tell how they're moving how far they're striding out when they're really you know sequencing uh, their hips into front foot it's just hard to see that you're kind of trying to interpolate it yourself as opposed to see it so i like side views video analysis and i can give them a, a, a basic video analysis from that so Cool, Zinger. Uh, basically, same thing, especially to start off. Uh, I like the side view, ideally game video, um, if I have a choice. And then the nice thing about the Team Builder app is anything that we've programmed in there, they can add video to. So if it's a bullpen, they could add video of their bullpen. If it was body weight workouts or you know even their mental stuff, uh, they can submit video inside of there so um, 
Yeah, Jay, why don't you kind of share uh, on your end? Sure. Same uh, open side if we if possible um, from the side view, so I can see how the hands are working. Uh, sometimes I do like having a back view just to see, you know, what kind of line and direction is going on. If there's an upper body dump um, that we have to deal with, you know, how the hips are working. Um, sometimes those are those are important. I don't necessarily need to see how the ball is. Uh, moving or anything like that that's not super important at least in an initial evaluation um, but the side view and then the back view is probably the second most important one uh, but like Brent said you can see a lot from the side um, and like Zinger said if you can do it from a game situation where you can have a high stress pitch that's going to be probably preferred but a lot of times it's difficult to get something with clarity it's you know with the distance that you're working with unless you've got you know, some high-tech piece of uh, camera equipment where you can really zoom in and, and see that stuff. But, you know, just in a, a controlled setting, an iPhone, I mean, iPhones and, and, and galaxies and cell phones just in general, they have such good video quality now. Even the slow motion stuff is really good. And you can really dive deep and pick out um, things that you may not have been able to see a generation or two ago from a cell phone camera. So, um, you know, very, very simple. Everybody's got one in their pocket. They can utilize it, you know, to their advantage. Absolutely. Well, let's just do one final round the horn, kind of any final, you know, takeaways uh, from this conversation, as well as, you know, what you're working on right now, kind of where, where people in the community, parents, players, coaches can find, you know, find you and, and what it is that you do. So Brent, why don't you take it away? Yeah, I'd like to talk more about what Jason was talking about. I really liked the perspective of having fun in, in all this. And, I, and at the end of the day, there is. There's, like Jason was saying, there's so many different ways of doing this. And it's, you know, you need to find the one that works for you. And the more likely, that's the one you're going to enjoy the most. So it's not saying, you know, which one is right. It's just which one fits for you. Which one do you like? Maybe you, you, you would have gotten better results if you did the other one, but you might have hated the process, you know? So I think it, you, we do have to keep the fun in this and, and study everything. And, and also, like Jason said, don't bounce around. Pick one and commit to it. Show the coach, the instructor, the program that you can commit and you can really put everything into it to be successful with it. But ultimately, you're right. Find the one that fits for you, that you'll enjoy and that you're really excited about it helping you. Um, I think that's what this is all about. Um, and I'm at Top Velocity. You can find me anywhere on social media, Top Velocity, topvelocity.net. I got some free courses, topvelocity.net slash 100 MPH, 100 miles per hour. A little free course you can go through and learn. Um, but I'm on Top Velocity on social media. And, and I want to thank Andrew for this. Uh, really appreciate being a part of this. Um, really love what you guys do with Sports Force. So thank you. You got it, man. Glad we were able to organize this in a, in a short time period. Um, so, Zinger, why don't you uh, – any final takeaways and thoughts, man? Uh, just in this – especially in this time of uncertainty, um, control the things we can control. You know, focus on the things like your attitude, your outlook, and your, especially your preparation right now. You know, um, it's easy to be a victim right now. Uh, I think, you know, guys that are going to take ownership are the guys that are going to be at home that do this stuff. You know, they're going to obviously follow some program and all that good stuff. But I think, you know, the main thing is the personal ownership and get yourself one day better at a time. You know, nothing that's, you know, 
four months ahead right now, there's a lot of uncertainty. You know, whether it's are we going to have seasons, are we not going to have seasons, is, you know, blah, blah, blah. But I think the more we can stay focused on the process, the better off we're going to be, the more peace of mind you're going to have. And, you know, I think the other thing, too, is just to, to stay with our community. You know, like something like this, I, I've really enjoyed this as well. You know, getting to know Jason better, uh, hearing his stuff, getting to hear Brent talk. I've heard him talk a lot, but I'm always, you know, open to learning. Love being with Andrew. Your energy is awesome. Love what you're doing with your company. But uh, I guess if people want to find us, uh, fuelfactorysports.com or Coach Zinger on Instagram, um, message me, inbox me, whatever. If there's anything I can do to help, happy to help. So thank you. Awesome, man. Jay, how about you, man? Yeah, um, I think these guys have summarized it really well. Uh, you know, you could have that woe is me attitude right now, but uh, for guys who just had their seasons canceled, whether it's collegiate season, high school season, pro season, if we get to that point, um, you know, use this as a, as a time to reevaluate, you know, those things that you need to be better at, maybe something that you didn't have enough time to address in the off season. Um, you know, in terms of, you know, guys that are or parents that are listening to this, players that are listening to this, trying to figure out, you know, a direction that they want to go do your homework. At the end of the day, I think, you know, Zinger said it the best, you're going to be your own best coach. Um, understand who you are, what you do, uh, what makes you tick, so that anytime a coach comes up to you and says, well, do this, that, or the other, you're able to, you know, competently uh, and knowledgeably tell them, you know what, that's, that's something that makes me work well, or hey, I've tried this in the past, this doesn't work for me. Um, be open-minded to stuff, do your education, uh, do your reading, follow up with whatever uh, program it is that you want to follow up with, or whatever the research is, you got lots of time now, right? Most of us are, are not allowed to, to go do the things that we love to do, um, so we've got some extra time to do, you know, Zoom meetings like this right now um, with, uh, you know, a bunch of different training uh, philosophies that are out there. Um, you've got lots of time to do some reading on some research or get into some books that maybe you didn't have time to get into before. Um, there's lots of great resources out there um, that you can dive into. A lot of them don't cost anything. Some of them don't cost a whole lot. Um, so this is a great time to educate yourself and, and, and try and be better, whether it's mentally uh, or physically. Uh, you've got a great opportunity right now to effectively hit the reset button and kind of rethink how we want to do stuff. So um, you can find Fast Baseball on the web. Uh, we're at fastcolorado.com. Um, that's a new website for us because we've got uh, our strength partners now in-house and we've got a recovery center as well. So fastcolorado.com. You can find us on uh, Instagram, we're at Fast Baseball. And then uh, the Twitter, which is not our preferred platform, but you can find us there too, at Fast Baseball Dev, D-E-V. Uh, like development so well guys I'm glad you were able to join us um, and just be part of this uh, I think we are all you know we all go to the ABCA we all see each other we all you know have a community at, at times like this you each touched on it um, you know making time to stay connected to your tribe uh, continuing to learn and expand and um, you know this is the first that we put together we want to do more of these so if you're listening and you got a comment, you got something that, a question that we didn't, you, we didn't get to, or some additional suggestions, like just hit us up or hit up any one of these guys directly. I mean, we're all super accessible um, as kind of leaders, mentors in, in the community. 
And ultimately, we're here to serve you. And we believe that at this point in time, um, that if we can give value and, and serve you and educate you, then as a community, you know, all ships will rise, you know, with the tide. And we're just trying to raise the tide right now. Uh, and this is, you know, a, an incredible opportunity uh, where we all have time and energy to be able to, uh, you know, just up level. So, and then the final thing is, I'll give one book recommendation that I think is a must read for any player, any parent, any coach that's out there, and I kind of touched on it, um, was The Talent Code by Daniel Coyle. Uh, it talks about how skill acquisition is predictable in certain environments, uh, whether it's sports or music or arts. And there's so many takeaways that you could take as an athlete or as a parent or as a coach that you'll never be the same after you read this article if you really kind of study what they're sharing with you. Um, and so I want to leave you with that little nugget. And then um, we're going to be doing more of these. I've already started lining up some stuff for hitting. Um, and we're going to dive deeper into pitching as well. So just thanks for joining us. Um, and uh, look forward to, uh, you know, to the next program that we run here. Guys, thanks for your time, man. You guys all crushed it as usual. Um, again, all right? Rock on, brothers. Thanks, Andrew. Sounds good. Thanks, dude. You got it, man. Thanks, fellas. Okay. Yep.